Welcome to the Artistic Finance Podcast, where we break down the wall between art and money. If you're here looking for how to be an artist and financially sustain a career, you're in the right place. Keep listening and join us as we learn about artists and how they make money work for them. Hello, everyone. This is your host, Ethan Steimel, here for episode 25. Thank you for tuning in. To everyone who is feeling like 2020 is a terrible year, just know that it is. And we're all going through it together. But also know that some good things have come from it. For instance, I spent 32 years of my life not drinking coffee. Pandemic happens, closes all the shops where I got my chai lattes, and bam, now I'm drinking coffee. Nicole and I even bought a coffee maker, and we bulk ordered three giant containers of Folgers coffee. And all of you coffee purists out there with your Nicaraguan beans or your Kona coffee or your French presses, please don't bother telling me I'm a peasant. I've just learned about coffee, so leave me be to enjoy my Folgers. Now, lest you think 2020 only brought the goodness of coffee, it brought another good thing. There is a $1,500 college scholarship that was created by today's guest. It is for any BIPOC non-performance theater major studying anywhere in the United States. The deadline to apply is October 25th. If you know anyone who could use that scholarship, let them know as soon as possible so that they can get their application in. They have nothing to lose but $1,500 to potentially gain. Today's guest is Cody Renard Richard, a stage manager for Broadway, television, circus, and opera. Most recently, he was production stage manager for Broadway's Freestyle Love Supreme, and he worked on the 2020 MTV VMAs. Cody is also an educator and an advocate for change and equity, and has been interviewed on CNN and WNBC. He was named one of Variety Magazine's 2020 Broadway Players to Watch, the first ever stage manager to make that list. And if the Tony Award Committee ever decides to give an award for stage management, which they currently do not, I guarantee it will be because they want to give Cody an award. Without further ado, let's get to our interview. Welcome, Cody Renard Richard, to the podcast. So glad to have you here on this bright Monday morning. Thank you. Happy to be here. It's not so bright in New York today. It's raining today, but, you know. <laughs> uh, you know, that's a good point. I didn't go on a jog today because it was raining. <laughs> <laughs> We're recording this on October 12th, 2020. We're amidst the COVID-19 pandemic, and we're also amidst the Black Lives Matter reawakening. And an election. <laughs> and an election. Oh, man, we're so close to the election. Yeah. <laughs> and then, also before we get started, uh, if anybody's listening and they're near a computer or a phone or something, they should go to CodyRenard.com to see about you because your website is like amazing. Oh, thank you. <laughs> thank you. I don't know if you've heard this term, but there's architects and then there's starchitects, which are like the architects that do the big buildings that we all know. I feel like there's stage managers and then there's star stage managers. <laughs> and I think you are a star stage manager. Oh, my God. <laughs> think I'm going to ask you to, to tell us about yourself. But I also think we could just start with like talking about which Broadway shows you have not worked on <laughs> as opposed to the ones you have worked on, because I think that'll just be like a time saver. <laughs> oh, my God. That's funny. <laughs> um, OK, so. Oh, and then this is a side note. 
which is that you went to Webster University. I did. Um, I did not, but I did apply and was accepted and didn't go. Oh, wow. It cost money, and I was like, nah. Yeah, no, it's expensive. What did you uh, apply for? Well, it was a long time ago in a different life of mine, but oh. <laughs> uh, theater was the program, acting. Oh, wow. That's, that's crazy. <laughs> I love that. Like, I, I didn't go study acting or anything. But at the but... time, you wanted... That's so crazy. I love that. Okay, so... Could you give us a recap of your life and your career up to where you are right now? Uh, my name is Cody Renard Richard. I am currently a stage manager, educator, and advocate living in New York City. Uh, I'm originally from Houston, Texas. Um, I say Houston, Texas, but it's actually a little town right outside of Houston, Texas called Hockley. So I grew up on a ranch. My entire family, they are cowboys and cowgirls. We'll save that story for another time. <laughs> um, but I uh, got involved in the theater in junior high. I got more involved in the theater in high school. I went off to college at Webster Conservatory where I studied stage management. From there, I knew it was kind of what I wanted to do. My sophomore year, I took a trip to New York. And from that moment, I was bit by the Broadway bug. And I was like, I'm moving to New York and I'm working on Broadway. I had no idea how to do it. I had no idea when it was going to happen, but I knew it was going to happen. And it happened. <laughs> I moved to New York in 2010. So actually 10 years ago last Amazing. week. Congratulations. Thank you. <laughs> So yeah, I moved to New York. You know, I've been very fortunate. I've been able to work on tons of Broadway shows. Some of my favorites are Hamilton, Kinky Boots, Freestyle Love Supreme, Dear Evan Hansen, Lion King. I've also worked in television a little bit. I've done the live televised musicals of uh, Hairspray Live, The Wiz, and Jesus Christ Superstar Live. Uh, a dream came true with working on the Tony Awards last year. I was one of the stage managers for the Tonys. I've also worked in opera. I did a show at the Met. I've worked for Cirque Soleil. I just ventured into teaching now. So I'm kind of, I'm, I'm the type of person who likes to dip my toe into each little lake just to keep it interesting and to get more knowledge and to keep, you know, growing. But yeah, that's kind of my journey in a nutshell. And now here I am in a pandemic talking, <laughs> talking to you in my makeshift office, which is also my bedroom. <laughs> <laughs> same here, same here. Wow, that's amazing. So you went to New York your sophomore year of college. Houston is known for like the Alley Theater and it has a sort of big art, arts theater live event scene, but you didn't do any theater in Houston before you ended up going to college? Actually, I did. And I think this is probably a testament to my career. I've always been the type of person who was like, I have to do this thing, like, because I always feel like I'm such a go-getter, I guess. So after I graduated high school, I was already accepted into Webster. In my mind, I thought that all of the students going to Webster probably had a leg up on me. I don't know why I thought that, but I was like, oh, they're going to come in already knowing what to do. And I've never, I've only done it in high school. And they also had too. But in my mind, I don't know why I was thinking that I needed to know more. So I applied for an internship at the Alley Theater the summer after I graduated high school with which was the summer before I went to college. And they, I got the internship and I was able to work with the professional stage managers there and everyone at the alley to kind of learn a little bit more about how it works in professional theater. So I guess that was actually my first job in stage managing was at the alley theater before I went to college. And when I got to college, I was like, oh, I didn't have to do that. But it helped me understand it a lot more. So I'm very grateful that I did. And 
Working at the alley connected me with a woman named Sarah Mills. Four or five years later, I had spent some time in New York doing another internship. And she wrote me because she was getting ready to do a Cirque du Soleil show in New York. And she's like, hey, are you still in New York? I need a stage manager for the Cirque thing. I don't know if you're busy, but I remember loved working with you when you were an intern. And I'm sure you've grown since then. And I was in Kansas City, Missouri doing a show, planning to move to New York because I had just graduated. I lied to her. And I said, of course I live in New York City. I would love to do this Cirque du Soleil show at Madison Square Garden. So she hired me and I moved to New York officially in October of 2010 with a job at Madison Square Garden because of a connection that I made at the Alley Theater when I was 18. Wow. That is Isn't that crazy? astounding. <laughs> <laughs> I, lo- I love stories like that because those moments that like that appears like pure luck but it's not because like you did the internship and right. you did the work and then you moved to the place. Yeah, the seeds were already planted. Yeah. <laughs> okay, that's amazing. Okay, so I want to ask you to describe your demographics for us for all those people that are just listening and or haven't been to your website yet. <laughs> Great. I am currently 32 years young. <laughs> I am a black American and I am very single. And male, did we say that? And and male? I and I uh, identify uh, he him his. Okay. Male. I don't I, I don't I don't want to assume. <laughs> <laughs> so now I want us to get to know your creative personality a little bit. What is a live event that you like to experience as an audience member? Oh man, I love going to concerts. Oh, I love concerts. Actually, the last concert I saw before the shutdown was Celine Dion at, um, I think it was at City Field. She's, oh my goodness. Just, I love, I love going to concerts and just witnessing these amazing performances and then the spectacles. Do you like going for the spectacle or for the performer or performers? It depends on who it is. I'm a fan of the voice. So I usually go to concerts that feature singers as opposed to like performers. But then with people like Beyonce, you get the best of both worlds because she sings her ass off and she also performs like crazy. You know what I mean? So there are certain people. I never mind. I'm not going to say what I was going to say, but but like you know, like Celine Dion, you go for her voice, and that's that's incredible. And like you know, I saw I saw Khalid in concert a couple months ago, and he's an incredible singer. So like I, I usually go to concerts that that are going to like move me because their their voice is so insane. You know, amazing, amazing. What is a piece of art that you like? Okay, I'm doing well, not right now, but we're doing a show called Limpica, which is inspired by Tamara de Limpica, who is uh, a famous painter, like Art Deco painter. All of her paintings are amazing, but I'm obsessed with her Adam and Eve painting. It's like a nude, an artistic nude of these two of these two uh, individuals, and it's stunning. Um, and all, I just love like the way her art is, and I think I probably love it so much because I'm so attached to this show. So every time like I do the show, I find like a new piece of art that she's done that just is so incredible. But I'm uh, yeah, I'm a huge fan of of her work. Yeah. Amazing. That's awesome. So what keeps you motivated to keep working or inspires you, let's say, on those days that you wake up and you don't want to get out of bed? That's a great question. Um, a lot of things actually uh, keeps me going. I think myself, I owe myself. Um, like I have a responsibility to myself to keep going. There was so much that I had to do to get to where I was. 
Um, so I always think back to like when I was younger and like the path that I could have gone down or like the opportunities or, or, or you know what I mean? I always think about where I could be as opposed to where I am. And when I think about that, I'm like, okay, no, you need to continue to do this. You know what I mean? You have to remember that you had this dream and this goal. And it's like, so I'm, I'm very much a self-motivator. Um, I also think about my mom who, you know, sometimes uh, help financially. And I think about like, I think about the visibility of younger black and brown kids who now like follow me on social media or see my name in certain places. And I think about like continuing to get my name and face out there so they know that it's possible. They know that like they can do whatever they want. You can actually achieve any goal that you want. You just have to know that you're going to achieve it. You know what I mean? I know that sounds so simple, but I mean, it, and and in a sense, it kind of is. You just work really hard, and you all and you don't stray from. You know what I mean? You laser focus in on what you want, and at some point in your life, it might not be the thing you're thinking of, but you're gonna accomplish that. You know what I mean? If so, that's kind of what what really motivates me. I love it. That's nice. <laughs> well, I guess you sort of already answered this question, but what music do you listen to? Uh, a wider uh, uh, array of music, actually. I'm, I'm kind of the person, though, if I if I find an album that I like, I'll listen to it on repeat for months. <laughs> like, I don't, I don't really follow the trend of new music, but I love R&B. Sometimes I love trap rap music. A lot of times I love trap rap music, let's not lie. Um, I like pop music. I listen. I still listen to country music. I listen to gospel music. Um, I, yeah, I listen to a lot of genres. And some now lately, because I've been missing Broadway, I've listened to some Broadway show tunes. Like Whoa. I haven't really gotten <laughs> into like heavy metal or or pop rock or necessarily classical music. But you know, I love some jazz. I love you know. You, you still have time in your life to get into heavy metal or classical. <laughs> we'll see. <laughs> We'll see. Amazing. Baby steps. So that was your creative personality. Now onto your financial personality. Are you bad or good with money? I'd like to say that I am okay good with money. I'm in the middle. I'm in the middle. If like there was a, if I was sitting on a scale, it wouldn't tip all the way to bad, but it wouldn't tip all the way to good. It would be like getting closer to good, but you know. Nice. Are you in general, are you a saver or a spender? Both. I can't say that I'm one over the other. 1000% both. I love clothing. I love fashion. I love eating out. I love traveling. So I spend a lot of money, but also I'm a tourist. So like, I love the security of having something. So I, so I definitely save. Um, I could have obviously saved a lot more in my day. Um, but again, I, you know, I've tried to embrace being spontaneous, which is not something that I grew up doing. So like taking trips and, and you know, just impulse shopping and, and whatnot is uh, something that I come to like, you know, so like I'm a little I do. I am definitely both. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You sort of just touched on it, but growing up, did you have good financial examples? Yes and no. The reason why I say yes is because my mom, we didn't grow up with a lot of money, but I never knew that. Like, I knew it because kids would be like, oh, you live in that house? Oh, my God, you live in a shack or whatever. You know, like, they would make fun of, like, where I lived. But for me, I was like, oh, it's just my house, you know? My mom was a single parent, and my aunt and stuff lived next door and whatnot. But, like, I never wanted for anything. Anything that I wanted, my mom would find a way to provide it for me. So I think that, for me, it was a, a healthy relationship or like a positive example of money because I was taught very early on that the money always comes and that is how I live my life now so even when I'm like you know right now in this pandemic and I don't have a steady job because of 
the way it's piecing together, I know that the money will always come. I very seldom worry about money. That is why I say it was a positive example of money. And then I say not a positive example of money because we never talked about money. We never talked about like the responsibility of money, the saving. Like we kind of touched on it, but it was never something that was ingrained in me to be like, oh, I, you know what I mean? It was like, oh, um, so that's kind of why I say both. At the start of your career, so I guess that's when you went from Kansas City to New York City. What did your finances look like at that point? Oh, I didn't have any money. I was, uh, <laughs> yeah, I just graduated college. Um, I think I had saved up like a little bit because I, I knew I was moving to New York. I had just sold my car. I had a little Mustang. So I sold it for like a couple thousand, like maybe like, actually, I think I sold it for like $2,500 or $3,000 or something. So not a lot of money for a car, but enough to have a little cushion to move to New York. At that time, that's like, that was a lot of money. Yeah. <laughs> and it's still is, you know, yeah. if you think about it. Anyway. So yeah, I think I had like, you know, maybe a couple thousand, like when I say a couple, I mean like two or three to move to New York, if that much. I don't even remember if it was that much. That's kind of what I had moving to New York. And I moved here without having enough to find an apartment because finding an apartment in New York, you have to put down first month rent you have to put down a security deposit you have to pay a 10 percent broker's fee so it's like that would have been all of the money that i had so i stayed with my best friend who actually who i went to college with as well i stayed in her apartment in brooklyn on an air mattress for the first like three months until in her studio apartment that she was renting from someone who was giving her a, it was a whole thing but like that was how i started and then like i was able to to go from there yeah Still friends with that person? Oh yeah, she's she's my best friend. We still talk. She um she's actually another. She's a stage manager and she works for Cirque du Soleil. We were in the same class. She's also from Texas. It's very interesting how we met and like continue to be friends. Yeah, that's nice. That's really cool. Yeah, I mean, three months on an air mattress in a studio with someone. I know, but we made it work. We made it work. But that's a level of friendship I don't have with. Well, maybe my wife, I suppose. Right. <laughs> Uh, you're 32, but have you had any health challenges? Um, I, I mean, I had COVID in March. Oh, so uh, yeah, I had the virus in March, and it took me about uh, a little over a month, a month and a half to like fully recover from everything. But I was able to to be home and and go through. I wasn't. I I didn't have to go to the hospital. I went and got tested. I came back and isolated and quarantined and took all the the supplements and pills and all that stuff. And yeah, but yeah, I mean, it was it was interesting because. Like I had almost every symptom and sometimes they were really bad and sometimes they weren't. And I, you know, I'm a relatively very, I'm a healthy person. You know, I work out regularly and I eat sort of well, you know, yeah, so, yeah. Um, <laughs> so, it, so I was able to recover at home, which was nice. But yeah, I, I caught that. Other than that, I, I haven't really had, knock on wood, I haven't really had um, uh, any other health issues. I mean, I found out that I was allergic to cats when I was staying with my friend who has cats, but that was about the only other thing that scared me. <laughs> <laughs> Broken a couple of bones, but... Yeah. So I assume for COVID, it wasn't like super expensive to deal with that because I assume you have insurance through Actors Equity. Yes, it wasn't necessarily expensive because I didn't have any hospital bills and my test was covered through insurance. If I had gone into the hospital for anything, I think that would have been a different story. But I was very fortunate to, to be able to be home and deal with it at home. Because you've had it. 
and they say you can get it again. Are you like more confident going around people because you're like, well, I've already had it. So or are you like more nervous, you know, interacting with people because you're like, I don't want to get it again. I'm definitely not more nervous because I think it's since it's been seven months for me, it's like I have to experience some sort of life. So I'm still very cautious. I still wear my mask when I'm around people, you know, and when I leave my apartment. But I've started to become a little more social. I live in a one bedroom apartment and I've been here alone for the most of the seven months. I've taken like maybe maybe two trips is to visit people, but that's it. And now it's like, all right, I will go to this restaurant and get food or I will go to the park and see someone. Cause I was like, I, I, cause I'm also a very social person. And I'm at the point that I'm like, I have to be, maintain that aspect of my life or I'm gonna go crazy. So I'm not um, nervous per se, but I'm still very cautious cause we don't, we still don't know how to contain this thing, which is right. insane. Yeah. When you have excess money, where do you put it? Um, I wish that I could say I put it into an investment um, account. I just put it into my savings. And I've had many conversations about investment accounts, and I have not gone down that path. And <laughs> maybe this is another sign telling me that it's time. <laughs> we'll see. Everybody's path is different, you know. <laughs> I know. I know. Uh, we can skip this question because I think you already answered it too. But it's do you worry or think about money on a daily basis. I don't, I don't. Yeah, there are times though when finances are hard, like I have overdrafted my account in New York. If I'm being very transparent, I've overdrafted my account many a times. And then there are those moments where you're like, oh, again, I am a blah, 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 you're old, per you know what I mean? So you just think about like <laughs> why and what and you, you know, and, and I have those moments of worry and doubt. And then I like pull myself together and like, no, it'll be fine. And then, you know, the money comes and we get back on track and we keep it moving. Uh, so I don't think about money daily. For me, I feel like that would be very unhealthy. But I do think about money often. I think about it positively, though, because I want it to come into my life. Yeah, I love that. <laughs> do you use a budget or have you used a budget? No. <laughs> I, um, <laughs> I, yeah, no, I um, can't say that I have. I almost want to stop asking that question because nobody uses it. I mean, there have been a few people who are like, yeah, spreadsheets and blah, blah, blah. Yeah. Well, as a stage manager, we use spreadsheets all the time. I know a lot of friends who are stage managers who, you know, who makes their budgets and, and, you know, prioritizes for the month. If I had done that, maybe I would have more money now, but also I think it would have drove myself crazy. It would have made me think about money a lot more. If I, if I learned anything during this, this pandemic, to me, money is just a construct. It comes out of thin air. It really does because you look at all these bills that they're like putting out and all the, the trillion dollar blah, 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 blah. It's like the money is literally being printed and just put into the world. You know what I mean? And that's probably why we're in so much debt now. So I think I'm like, I'm not going to worry about money because if they're creating all this shit with money just running around i know that it will come into my life at some point so i'm like i can't worry about it and like stress about it because i know that it's going to continue to flow because it has to oh man i love that <laughs> <laughs> i i agree with all that but do you know what mmt is i don't okay it's modern monetary theory it says what you just said it's, it's all just a construct the debt is imaginary right we aren't actually in debt we create our own money and then we use our own money to pay our own money back. Right. So just just absolve everybody of the debt and just move forward. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, what is a good financial decision that you have made? You know, not not spending a couple thousand dollars on a pair of shoes. <laughs> you know, um, like yeah. making those decisions, I guess. Like I do have very expensive taste. And sometimes you have to be like, OK, let's not do this, you know taking a job that I knew would pay more as opposed to taking a job that 
that probably would have satisfied my soul a little bit more um, just because that's just where I, what I needed at the time. Um, on, on the flip side of that, what is a bad financial decision that you've made? Buying a couple thousand dollars. <laughs> no, no, no. I've never actually done that. Um, uh, I just thought that would be very funny. When I moved into this apartment, in hindsight, you know, the timing might not have been as ideal as I thought. I moved to this apartment. This was back in 2014. I was doing a Broadway show called After Midnight, and I had been working consecutively on Broadway for a while. So I was like, oh, I should be fine to get to move to one bedroom. I had a roommate before. And I found this place, and I was like, oh, the rent is perfect. And I could just, I had enough in my savings to where I could pay the, you know, the first month, the security deposit, the 10%, and, and still have money left over. So I got this apartment. I put down, I guess it was almost 10 grand, if you count up all that crazy crap. And I, you know, put it up. I was like, oh, it's fine. You know, I got this show. We got our closing notice for After Midnight two weeks after I signed everything for this apartment. And I was just like, I just gave away that. You know what I mean? And in hindsight, it was like, maybe that wasn't the best decision, but but it but it kind of was a blessing in disguise because I needed my own space. And, I'm, and it has worked out because I haven't moved out of this apartment since. But I think that was probably the moments where I was like, oh, that's just, you know, getting giving up that type of money and that check. You're like, oh. Um, so that's, that's one, that's the one thing that comes to mind. Yeah. Every time you work and you get a paycheck, does it just come to Cody Renard Richard or do you have any sort of entity set up anywhere? Uh, I'm, I'm not incorporated and I don't have a LLC. So it comes, it just comes straight to me right now. And then is most of your checks, are they W2 income or are they 1099 income? Most of my checks up until this year are usually uh, W2s. And then every once in a while, I would do, I'll do like a, a one-off event that's a 1099. But most of my, the, the majority of my checks for my career have all been uh, W2s. And then do you file your own taxes? I do not. I have a wonderful lady down in Florida. I can't, I don't, I don't understand that stuff. And I, you know, I itemize everything, send it to her and she'll get back to me. She's like, well, what about this? And I was like, oh, right. Okay. And then we'll figure it out. And she, she's great. <laughs> oh, that's awesome. Do you have a retirement plan? And if so, what does it look like? Being in Greece with, <laughs> no, I mean, yeah. I, I actually, I don't, I don't have a retirement plan. I, um, yeah, I haven't really thought about retirement. Actors Equity, do they provide something? I have 401k and a pension set up through Equity and through, um, I'm also a member of the uh, Directors Guild Association, the DGA. So they pay into my 401k and my pension as well. Um, so I do have um, quite a bit in that. I just don't, you know. I'm going to ask questions just because I don't know. So DGA, I, that was like your NBC live musicals. That's the DGA. Is that the stage manager union for TV? Correct. So the DGA covers directors, assistant directors, and stage managers, and television and film. I, I'm sure everybody listening knows, but Actors Equity, you're an Actors Equity, and it covers actors as well as stage managers. Correct, correct. So that's why you're in that. Okay, to hammer more on this. So the 401k through Equity, is that something that they automatically did for you, or did you have to take an extra step and say... Besides the pension, I also want to do the 401k. They set that up for for us. And depending on the contract, if, you know, on a lot of Broadway contracts, the producers pay into it. Like, they pay into it because they, like, it's a part of the agreement. And then we have the option to uh, adding more of a percentage into it as well so we can match what the producers are doing or we can just let the producers pay into it. Yeah. Okay, and then, sorry, to, uh, okay, so then you have a pension plan there as well. And then the DGA, is that just a pension or is that a 401k as well? I believe the DGA is just a pension. Okay. And then all three of those options, you don't make any decisions on it. You just put money in and when you're 65, 
you'll see what is there and see what's there exactly i check in on it from time to time to see like how much money is there um but actually i think like now because a friend of mine just took some money out of their 401k like we have the option to to take however much funds that we want because you know it's a weird time so they were able to take up i think like 20k out of it so like so you can take amounts but i think you only can do it like a certain amount of time a year or like however many years i'm not sure how that works i've never taken anything out um but they give you that option if you're ever like really hard on your luck and you need to access those funds you can pull a certain amount out and especially this year in pandemic they've tweaked the rules a little bit so that it's a little easier but you can pull money out but you have to pay it back in a certain amount of time or there's of course the worst option that everybody would say only do if you're desperate which is pull it out and just pay the tax pay a penalty on it technically it is your money and you can get it back you just have to pay penalties on it yeah i'm not i'm not touching it because i'm like i'll figure it out because i don't need to i don't need to pay any other bills i got enough bills and i got enough tax statements i like i can't uh-uh. <laughs> so i won't i won't be touching mine until until it's time don't stop yeah what job of yours has been the most financially lucrative? It's kind of a toss up because my television jobs definitely pay more, um, but they are shorter contracts. So whereas I make like, you know, an X amount a week, which is more than what I would make on Broadway, the, the longest I've done a television show is uh, like the, the, the live musicals have been maybe two and a half months. Um, whereas on Broadway, you know, I've done shows for nine months to a year. So in the long haul, the Broadway show is the most lucrative because it's good money and it's and it's longevity. But the television gigs, you know, those one offs, those two two months pays almost double what I would make on Broadway in a couple of months. So it, it, it depends on like how you look at it, I guess. I'm sure equity has like a minimum weekly fee for a stage manager. And I'm guessing that the DGA does as well. Do you know off the top of your head, and I know it changes like every year and every contract renewal or whatever, but you, do you know roughly what the minimum is for a Broadway stage manager and then also for DGA? For a Broadway stage manager to be the PSM, to be the lead stage manager, uh, production stage manager is what we called it on Broadway. For a musical, I think the minimum on Broadway now is $3,100. Uh, the minimum for like an assistant stage manager on Broadway is I think 2,500 now or 2,200 or something like that. Um, so they're both really great paychecks. And then for DGA, it depends on the contract, but the contracts that I've worked, either you get paid a day rate for like the Tonys and for the VMAs for shows like that. And all this information is online. So I'm not like, you know, spilling any uh, new tea. Um, so the day rates, I think, range from like 800 to a thousand dollars a day for television. When we do the live musicals, you have the producers have an option for either paying us a day rate or paying us a weekly rate. And I think the weekly rate, the base weekly rate for a stage manager is thirty two hundred. And then there's like a bump that and it's there's two different rates that I don't remember. There's like a forty one hundred dollar rate and then there's a thirty two hundred dollar rate. So like those are like um, it depends on the position. It's comparable to Broadway and TV, but TV you're working five days a week. You have weekends off. Broadway you're working every day, all day until you can't breathe. I'm kidding. It's not that bad. It's not that bad. <laughs> but, um, but yeah, no, they're, they're very, they're substantial paychecks. Um, it's just, you know, television has more resources and all that stuff to, to pay a little more. And then, of course, also the trick is you can't always go job to job to job. So you always have between time. And taxes. And taxes. <laughs> 
<laughs> and the end hours, which you like, you know, joked about, but like the hours are substantial. No, it's true. Working on Broadway, which I love and I've loved for years, it's it's time consuming, especially, you know, we do we work six days a week. You know, we work at night most times, but we're also rehearsing during the day. And if you're picking up any other projects, it's it's, it's very all consuming. Um, so it's a uh, it's a lot. It's a big time commitment. What job, regardless of money? have you done that you're most proud of? I don't know. That's tricky. I'm going to have to say more than one because, you know, that's how it is. Um, The Wiz Live, I was extremely proud of that because it was the first time that my mom got to see my work as a professional um, like in TV and she was able to show it to people and like talk about it and make sense of what I do. So that was pretty special. And and then the other one uh, was a show that I just recently d- did was Freestyle Love Supreme um, just because it was an unconventional show and, and it was uh, a group of people who I really admire and I love the work that they do. So I'm very proud to have been a part of that and to have contributed because that show allowed me to be a little bit more creative than I normally am as a stage manager. So I yeah. love that. I love that. Yeah. Awesome. Do you have a professional network and has it helped you make more money, a.k.a. how do you find work? When I, I don't have an agent. I don't have representation. Most stage managers don't. That may change. Who knows? But uh, so I don't necessarily have someone who's helping me get work, I guess. I do have a professional network in the sense of that I have a lot of connections and I've built relationships with people who sort of have my back. Not sort of. They have my back and I have theirs. So like when jobs come up, that's right for me. Sometimes they'll reach out. I do a lot of seeking jobs out on my own. Most of the jobs that I've ever gotten has been me like emailing or calling people and checking in and then staying on their radar. Some of the jobs have been because people have just called and offered it to me. Other jobs have been because I've applied cold. You know what I mean? So like finding jobs for me has been very varied. It's been different. But yeah, I, I do feel like I have a, a network here in New York now, like a, um, a, a group of people who, you know, you can call up and say, what do you have going on? Have you heard about this? And just get more information. Um, But as far as getting jobs, yeah, it's definitely that hustle. Definitely that, you know, going after it and trying to find out what's there. Yeah, amazing. How much of your success has been hard work versus luck? Uh, I don't think any of my success is because of luck. Um, And I don't mean that in a cocky way at all. Uh, (laughs) And I hope it doesn't come across that way. But I think that like, I I, I do believe in being in the right place at the right time. But um, I think of it more as fate. I think that everything that I have done has been either because I manifested it or, or I declared it or because it was meant for me, you know? And I think, and I do, and I know that I work extremely hard and I, and I know that like, Everything that I do leads to something else. So I, I think that my career is, is based on hard work and, and fate, you know, and just knowing that like things will work out. Yeah, I think that's awesome. If money wasn't an issue, what would your life's goal be? Oh, man, if money wasn't an issue, <laughs> I, I would I would probably travel. I love traveling. I, um, I would have a brownstone here in New York City. I would have a house upstate with my horses. And I would travel. I would still work in the theater because I love the theater. I would probably be a producer. I'd probably like produce my own shit and then I'll go travel a little bit, come back. You know, if money didn't exist and it was just a dream world, you know, I would, yeah, I would definitely be traveling. I would definitely have horses upstate at a house and 
you know, have have my have a place where all my friends can come and stay and not bother me. But if they want to, they can come to the house. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. That's awesome. I love it. What financial advice would you give yourself back when you started? Or would you give another stage manager that's just coming onto the scene? Um, I would tell them or myself to not be discouraged by the, the, the jobs that are offered to you when you're first starting out. And I say that because when I was in after Cirque du Soleil, I did two jobs in New York City where they paid me $50 in a Metro card. That's how I had to live. And that's insane because New York City is one of the most expensive cities in the U.S. And there were, t- and in those moments, I was like, oh, I can't do this. How am I going to live? You know what I mean? And I think that like I would go back and just remind myself that taking these jobs is going to lead to something much better. Stay the path. Don't let money discourage you from your journey and from where you want to go. Everything's a stepping stone. I know that now. And I guess I kind of knew it then because I did it and it kept on moving. But I, But I think I would tell myself that so that I hear it. And I tell that to other people in a way that, that they hear it, that like, you know, yeah, you might be making $300 a week right now on this, sh- on this show that's below minimum wage, but stay the course and keep fighting for what you want because you can make a living doing this. Yeah. Do you think right now is a good time for students to be studying to become stage managers? I actually had this conversation yesterday. I also <laughs> I, um, I teach at Columbia and we were talking about the state of the world and if people are going to be yeah. discouraged for pursuing theater and whatnot. Art is so needed always. I think art is a place for people to learn and grow and forget things. I also think in a way art saves people's lives. You know, I think about the students who could have gone down a really bad path. I think about the students who didn't have support at home and they find the theater. I think about, you know what I mean? Art it will always be needed. And I think that if people are interested in stage managing specifically, they should do it. And sure, there are no jobs right now because their industry is not happening right now, but that will not always be the case. This is the time to perfect the things that you're not great at. This is the time to like eat or perfect the things that you are great at. So when the world opens back up, you can jump back in. You're ready to continue on your journey, you know? Um, So I encourage people, if it's something that you want to do, do it. I say that about anything in life. If that's what you want to do, try it out because you'll never know if it's going to work out if you don't try it. So I definitely think that, that people should continue to go after what they want. Yeah. Amazing. Big cities like New York are artistic hubs. If somebody graduated in May of this year as a stage manager, would you advise them to move to a big city? I mean, I, it depends on the person, honestly. If they're trying to get away from something, move where you got to go. You know, if you're looking for something new, move where you got to go, figure out that city, you know, start like making friends and connections. And then, you know, hopefully that'll help you usher your way into the industry when it reopens. If finances are an issue, I wouldn't move. I would wait. I would continue to save and do something else. Because right now it's a long game. We don't know when the industry is going to reopen. We don't know what jobs are going to be available when the industry reopens. So I think it has. you have to think about like what your goals are, long-term and current goals. And I would weigh both of those before making a big decision to move, especially to New York. New York is still expensive, even during a pandemic when we don't have any jobs. And, and not even just New York, LA, Chicago, Boston, all of these cities are still not inexpensive to live in during 
this time. So I would just, you know, take take a moment to to figure out what you immediately want to do while people figure out what the world is going to do. Okay, so you mentioned that you're in two unions. What are the pros and cons of being in the union? You're protected by the union status, um, benefits of health care, which right now is a little tricky, but usually, you know, they provide great health care at, at a, a very low cost, which is great. You have access to, to people who could advocate for you and like in the workspace, you know, there are people that you can go to to feel protected if something is going wrong. Yeah, the union just helps provide a, a more safe equitable environments my very diplomatic answer of that but yeah you know yeah yeah <laughs> they provide that umbrella for us yeah there weren't any cons there can't you think of any cons oh come on <laughs> no i'm joking i'm joking the only con <laughs> i uh the only con that anybody has ever said is you have to pay the dues but like the dues pale in comparison to all the benefits you know what i mean <laughs> right i mean yeah i mean yeah it, it does suck that that there are union dues and you know there are also working dues but you know we pay taxes so <laughs> yeah no i know i know i know just, you know it's, it's not yeah, a, yeah, it's yeah. not a real con it's like i know like yeah. trying to find something you know <laughs> I mean, you, if if there was, we were going on a deep dive. You know, there are always things that the union that you're like annoyed with by the union. But I think the union does more good than it does harm. Sometimes you feel like you gotta pull teeth to get an answer about something, or you gotta like fight for them to see a certain contract or whatever. I think that in the grand scheme, it's better to have, especially on in theater. You know, absolutely. What can we do, you and I? to stress the importance of finance and savings to other artists. Continuing to talk about money in a positive way. I think we talk about money, not we, but the global we, tend to put a negative connotation on money. The term, um, I don't have any money or I can't afford that, we've gotta stop saying that. Start putting like a positive spin on the term money. And I think that that will help people to realize that, you know, it's just money. Yeah, because I think that's also important to be positive about it often i slide into the negative without even realizing it i also think it's inevitable like because i'm generally a very positive person but you know we all have negative thoughts and we all slide into that the goal is to not stay there you know the longer you sit in something negative the longer your life is going to be negative or the longer you're going to have those thoughts or like that low energy for me it's like all right you can think about it you can sit there but you know you can't wallow and stay because the longer you do, that's what your that's what your circumstances are going to be. Yeah. Amazing. All right. My final questions here. What separates those that have a career in the arts full time versus those that transition out or never even try to do it? I don't know what separates us. I would say the people who have a career in the arts full time, you know, going back to that word luck, which I um uh, dodged earlier are incredibly lucky, incredibly fortunate to be living their dreams. You know, I it's not lost on me that I am able to do what I want to do. It's a very cliche term, but I'm actually living the dream, you know, so I think that's what separates people who might have wanted to go into the arts and didn't or or was in the arts and then left is is you know yes it's hard sometimes and yes it's hard to like make ends meet sometimes but when you get to do it the the satisfaction of being able to to work in the art form that you love and have given so much to is amazing yeah yeah final question well actually i have questions after the final question but where can people find out more about you you can find uh more about me at my website which is codyrenard.com 
or on Instagram or Twitter. I'm not, I don't tweet as much, but I'm there at uh, Cody Renard, um, C-O-D-Y-R-E-N-A-R-D. Amazing. Um, okay, and then my question. You have a scholarship that you created, the Cody Renard Richards Scholarship. How is that going, and can you tell us about it? Absolutely. I would love to talk about it. So, yeah, I created a scholarship program this year with Broadway Advocacy Coalition. Um, I have uh, done some work with them before. I've known them all for years. They're doing great work within the Broadway community and, and educational systems. I have been wanting to do more. I've always wanted to do some type of a scholarship. And my initial thought was to do it at my university where I would just give a student $1,000 each year to like be able to pay for something like out of my own money. Like that was my, it's like, I'll just do that. Like that'll be my way of paying it forward. The pandemic hit and I had all this time on my hand and I was talking to my university about doing this. And then I started talking to some friends and they were like, well, why stop there? And I was like, oh, here we go. Cause I am, I'm also like, I, I dream big. There's no dream that's too big for me. So I was like, you know what? Why not just do something bigger? My will started spinning and I was like, all right. And we hit the ground running and created this program. And this program is specifically for by students who are studying non-performance degrees, mainly because I'm a stage manager and I work in the management side of theater. And I think it's really important to try to usher in more black and brown and other ethnicities of leaders into the theater. And if we don't give them the access and the connections, it's going to be harder for them to find people. And this is not to alienate white people at all, um, but this is to hopefully help level the playing field and to get more people who look like me behind the table and running shows and directing shows. So the program gives the students $1,500 for a semester. And then it also gives them three different sessions to where they'll meet with me and different industries within the theater to engage in various workshops on like leadership, their specific concentration and, you know, like social justice. So the goal is to like give them the tools that they're not necessarily getting in school and, and for them to meet, you know, meet current Tony winners meet people who are actively doing this, meet people at regional theaters. So when they graduate, they're like, oh, hey, I can reach out to this person because they have a connection. That's the goal. So hopefully, you know, this is the first year. We'll see what happens. Um, I'm very excited about it. So we shall see. I just love it because always there's this conversation about we more need more representation in theater. It so easily gravitates to onstage. Yeah. It really just pains me so many times to see so many shows that put a diverse cast up and then it's like completely white in the design and the stage management and all that. So that's what I love about your scholarship because there's way more people that work in theater behind the scenes. Absolutely. To me, that's such a good place for the scholarship to be focused. And I've gotten a lot of support, which has been great. There's like, you know, all the produce, not all, most of the producers that I've worked with in the past and, and, you know, some writers and directors, they, they have offered up tremendous support. If, if not financially, they've offered it up, you know, in the terms of wanting to, to help with internships or, or just, you know, advice or whatever. So that's been really, um, that's been really amazing. And just because I love talking about money, a couple more (laughs) questions about that, which is how many scholarships are you giving out? this semester or each semester for this semester we um did not put a number on it we were we didn't know how much we were going to raise because we're fundraising and so and we didn't know how many students were going to apply so it kind of depends on 
the demand and and how much we have in the fund. Obviously, we want to help as many students as we can. Um, so that's the goal is, you know, if we get $50,000, we can give away a lot more. If we only, you know, have 25K, we can give away however much we can. You know what I mean? So that's the goal is to give away as much as we can to as many deserving students as possible. Is Is the fund, is it like, however much money you get donated, that's how much money you have to work with? Or have you set up a fund where it's like, this is the principal and it will accumulate interest and we can use that to pay the scholarship? Do you know how it works? Well, right now it's it's um, how much is donated is how much we have. Um, we're, we're still uh, looking to bring on like um, a major donor or a major uh, like sponsor. If they give 150K, that can be invested and then that will be something that will continue. So we don't have to fund raise every year so that's the goal and right now we're, we're we're going off of the individual donations that we've gotten um which has been good i think you know we raised 25k in three days which was really amazing awesome and sorry well we, i'll let you go in a minute but <laughs> so i i was looking at the scholarship and it said applications could start september 15th and they're due october 25th have you gotten many applications yet or do you know? Yeah, we've gotten a couple of applications, you know, not as many as I would have hoped for at this point. If I remember how I was in college, everything came in last minute. So hopefully, we're, you know, we're going to do a, a little, a lot more outreach this week and to encourage students to get applications in. So hopefully we'll, you know, it's still two more weeks. So they have time to get, gather everything. Yeah. Okay. Cody, I loved talking with you. Thank you so much for sitting down with us. Of course. Thank you for having me. This was great. That was our interview with Cody Renard Richard. My takeaways were, be positive. Don't say I can't afford it. Scarcity mindset spirals to more scarcity. Money is imaginary. It has to exist, and so it will continue to exist and find its way to people. His scholarship deadline is approaching. Be sure to mention it to all the BIPOC non-performance theater majors that you know. If you listen to this after the fact, be sure to check again for the next semester. Details at CodyRenard.com. A special thank you to my patrons, who get the shows early and with bonus content. To become one, go to Patreon.com slash Artistic Finance. That's it for today. Until next time, break a leg. Thank you for listening to Artistic Finance. Find more information on our website, ArtisticFinance.com please subscribe to our podcast and please leave a rating and review. Artistic Finance is produced in New York City by Nicole and Ethan Steinle. Producing consultant Anne Nygren-Doherty. Graphics and website by Josh Cutler. Music by Chong Liu. Music by Chong Liu.